You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. It is finally Friday, and today is another awesome podcast from the nine finger chronicles thanks everyone for tuning in today i really appreciate it and we do have one hell of a show for you i tell you what it's shows like this and you know there's been other podcasts that i've done so far where you really get to see inside of a company what makes the company tick and more than just product information like how the company was started what was the passion and the purpose behind creating the company and the, or the products that drive the company. And then a little bit about where the company's going and, and what makes them tick. And today is definitely one of those podcasts. Today, we're going to be talking with Kyle Knoll, and he is one of the founders and owners of New Breed Archery. Now, if you don't know what New Breed is, they are a bow manufacturer here in the States, actually in Alabama. And uh, today we're going to talk with Kyle, and he is going to explain all those things that I just mentioned. But before we get into this podcast, I wanted to sit down with Matt Klein of Exodus Trail Cameras and ask him what the inspiration was behind their products. Uh, you know, the biggest thing I believe that got us to this point is just frustration, not being happy with the products that were out there on the market, wanting to see better options on the market, looking around at all the all the hype and the buzz and the endorsements that go on in this industry and wanting to see products, at least in the trail camera side of things that we could get into um, that were built solid, that were backed with great customer service and that would last longer than two or three years was was really the biggest thing for us. And there you have it. If you guys want to find out more information about Exodus Trail Cameras, be sure to visit exodusoutdoorgear.com. And now let's get into this week's product podcast with new breed archery's Kyle Knoll. All right. On the phone with me now is Kyle Knoll from New Breed Archery. How's it going today, Kyle? Oh, it's going great, man. How about yourself? You know, I couldn't ask for a better day. It's absolutely gorgeous outside here in Iowa today, and uh, I'm looking f forward to uh, to a fun weekend with the family. How about yourself? Oh, yeah, same thing. We uh, 
actually, um, we are going to do a reveal party of what our new child is. We've got a lot of family members wanting to find out if it's a boy or a girl. So uh, we're doing that this weekend. So that's my weekend plans and uh, a lot of excitement fixing to happen around my house. So, oh, uh, man. Yeah. I tell you what, I've been I've only been to one of those parties and they they let the balloons out and they were pink balloons right so the the guy i knew had, he was going to have another girl but then they went and did another ultrasound and they found out it was a boy so they had oh. they didn't have another reveal party they just had to be like well that was kind of a waste it's going to be a boy not a girl so yeah well we we went to the ultrasound we waited a little while and went to the ultrasound on uh, monday and uh it's definitely we we got it figured out, so, uh, so we're good. I didn't want to say what it is in case somebody listens tomorrow, but uh, anyway, or today. Um, yeah. But yeah, and what we're going to do, it's sort of cool. I have a four-year-old son, uh, and what we're going to let him do is he we're going to fill up two balloons, one with one color paint and one with the other color paint, and uh, I'm going to let him shoot the right one with his bow. Oh, so perfect. Yeah, so it's sort of cool. It's sort of a little bit of a spin on uh, throwing in my archery lifestyle. You know, if my wife said we had to do it, so I thought, you know what? If we're going to do that, we're going to do it my way. So we're going to do it big. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we'll throw a little manliness in there and have to shoot a bow at something, right? Amen. Yeah. So before we get into uh, talking about new breed, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, how your 2015 hunting season went? Uh, 2015 went pretty well, uh, had a little bit of success. I, I killed a couple of white tails. I did a lot of hunting. I have to admit that. Um, and, and this is just as true as it gets, you know, you, you, you wish that every hunt you went on, you come back, um, successful. And what I consider a successful hunt is a little different than most, but successful is just having, uh, maybe I learned something or got educated some way or enjoyed myself or something like that. So that's always successful. But as far as success, the way a lot of people gauge it is what you took on the hunt. And uh, I didn't I didn't take a lot of animals this year uh, compared to a couple of years past and those kind of things. But the experiences I had this year and the different places I went to was awesome. Uh, I wound up going to Kansas. I was in Idaho for mule deer. Uh, got to do some Kentucky hunting for uh, whitetail but it could have turned into a bear hunt uh, it got pretty exciting had a bear just about <laughs> get the tree with me uh luckily it decided to go the other way and a buddy of mine asked me he said uh man why don't you take some video of that and i'm like well i had my pistol in one hand and the bear spray in the other <laughs> so uh at that point i had given up on making this look cool it was time to get serious so uh so yeah so did that um i i like to hunt it Terra Wildlife as well over in Mississippi. It's one of those coveted places I got into uh, a few years back and went there and had a phenomenal time this year. Didn't take one. I took a really nice deer the year before, but uh, I let them walk this year. They have some restrictions and uh, didn't take one, but saw over 22 different bucks in a three-day period. Uh, I went during the rut and man, let me just tell you the experience there. i I can't say enough about it. I mean, to be able to see 22 different bucks and all the stuff they did in a three-day time period taught me a lifetime of how to hunt the rut, you know. So yeah. uh, very fun, very fun stuff. And I only hunt with a bow, so that's uh, the cool part about it. So. Well, that's a good segue into the uh, – I mean, you own a bow company, so that's you, right. you got you to gotta shoot a bow. That's right. So I tell you what, let's, let's get into it now. Um, and – like you like you mentioned before we started recording, you've been with 
new breed since before day one. So I guess what I want to know is how did new breed, you know, become a bow manufacturing company and tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind it. Well, in, in 2009, I introduced new breed to the public on a small little internet forum, but really the year before that, uh, I had made some prototypes, uh, some friends of mine and myself, we had machined them out. I'm, I'm an electrical engineer by trade, but uh, at the time I was teaching industrial robotics and design. So the cool part about that is anytime you're dealing with a, a robot and you're doing the electrical side of it, there's definitely some mechanical design to it because you're trying to make the robot do certain things that you want it to do. So anyway, in, in that process, I've always been a bow hunter. Um, I've always shot a bow. Uh, I started out at a very young age. I grew up on a farm and my dad really got me into hunting and the outdoor lifestyle. And so archery was just my thing. And I was shooting ASA tournaments a lot. And bottom line is somewhere in there, I, I used to take apart bows back and forth and those kind of things and sort of try to make the ultimate bow. And then one day I just sort of in engineering style, I guess I wiped everything off the table and said, you know, I'm just going to design my own. And it it just sort of sparked from there. I I got lucky in life when I was younger. I did work for McPherson Archery of Alabama when they moved from uh, Minnesota to Alabama. I got to work there at a young age, and that's sort of what kicked off my archery experience as far as getting into the research and development side of things and making me probably more of an archery tinker instead of just a shooter. So uh, it was fun, and and so I started designing this bow and I talked to a buddy of mine that owned a machine shop that you know the economy wasn't that great at the time i talked him into making me a few parts and i went to a tournament and had several people that liked it and they thought i was just shooting a prototype for another brand and i really didn't say much and then it sort of grew from there and then somewhere in there around the first of uh Jan well january of 2009 i there was just interest and so i said okay here's a new company and the uh, the name new breed really it sort of came off the cuff of we are the new breed of archery like we're trying to be more of the archers building bows for archers and not just a, a large company that's trying to make a product to sell and and that's all we're focused on we want to focus on the archer as well and uh obviously we've grown we we are focusing on sales and service and those kind of things but we still are trying to keep that same mindset that you know let's keep the love of the sport in the sport. And uh, so that's what we do here. And that's, that's what makes us a little uh, unique as far as what we do. We, we know that the larger companies out there and for sake of anything, I just don't mention the names, but we all know the large companies, the big four and five in this industry and uh, they have a direction and, and we respect their direction. And, but at the same time we have ours and really and truly we're not trying to get to that direction. We're not trying to, you know, hey, let me make a product as an engineer and now let me sell it off and go on to another project. I really want this thing to be what I live and breathe. And even though we call ourselves new breed, I really feel like there's a little bit of the old breed in there. And what I mean by that is, you know, it's sort of the way Earl Hoyt or Fred Bear or Ben Pearson started their companies. They, you know, they started out of love of archery. And so that's what I want to do too. And so that's why we did it. So elaborate a little bit on what you guys were thinking originally when 
you know, I guess it was you, you know, you, yep. you came up with this idea of this bow that you wanted to make. Talk to us a little bit about the design and the engineering that took place while creating your, I guess, your prototype. Yeah, well, like I said, there were there were some friends involved as well. I always mention that, you know. It, I I try not to make it always sound like I'm, you know, I'm the guy, you know. But I, it it was sort of my, I drove the the ship, if that makes sense. And so, when I started the design, the whole idea is I knew the grip had to be just right. Um, the number one thing that I noticed whenever I was out. Uh, shooting bows or when I picked bows myself or anything, the first thing I did was I made sure the grip felt right. From that point forward, then I worried about the rest of it. So the grip was one of the most important things about the bow, and that's what I started with. And then from the grip, I said, well, okay, you know, what's going to make the next perfect bow? And in my mind at the time, you know, a little bit longer axle-to-axle around that 37-inch axle-to-axle was what I would say, okay, that is the perfect target bow. It's not too long that you're losing a lot of speed, but it's not too short that, you know, if you make a bobble or two, it doesn't have a little bit of forgiveness in it. So I worked with a couple of different axle-to-axles and came up with 37 and a half, I think was my original design for the tournament bow. Then for hunting, I felt the same way. I at the In that time frame, what started happening is I started seeing all these bows get subcompact in the 28 inch axle to axle, 29 inch, you know, 30 inch, somewhere in that range. And I could shoot them. Anybody I saw could shoot them, you know, zero to 30 yards. We were all doing okay for hunting. But when you really started putting the test to it, you know, it didn't, it didn't seem to perform very well after a certain distance. And I'm like, well, I want it to perform at any distance just as good as it does at the close distance. And, so somewhere in there, I said, okay, you know, I don't need to get too long because you can't move it around in a tree stand and things like that. But I settled on 33 inches, and for some reason, that turned out to be the magic bow. Also, right in that time frame, 3D archery, you know, with the economy the way it was, people were trying to look for that one bow that they could target shoot with and hunt with. And so I felt like 33 inches sort of fit that mark. Uh, with those two, the next thing came to speed. You know, I knew I needed to keep some speed, but I didn't need it so fast that, you know, if you make a bow too fast, as weird as it sounds, if you make one too fast, it actually shows all the flaws of the human shooter. Uh, you can put it in a machine and it's awesome, but, you know, we got to remember that we're human and we make mistakes, right? And so uh, if you get a bow too fast, it shows your flaws and then it's hard to shoot and hard to draw and those kind of things. So, I, I sort of settled somewhere in there around the 340-ish range, and I said, you know, if I could get a bow to do that IBO, then I know hunting-wise it'll be, you know, one pin out to out to 32 yards or something like that, which is the average. You know, the average shot is between 18 and 32 yards now. And so uh, I needed the speed to stay in that 290 range, you know, with a good hunting era. And then for 3D at the time, 288 feet a second was the magic number that you had to keep your bow around. And most people who like to shoot tournaments, they don't like to shoot uh, 70 pounds in tournaments, but they do shoot, like to shoot 60 pounds. So I had to keep in mind that I needed it fast enough that somewhere around that 60, 62 pound range, it would shoot realistic speeds in that 280s range. And so that's sort of how it got started. I mean, I just jotted down all the things that I asked people questions. You know, what are you, what are you looking for in a bow? I'm looking for one that I can spend one amount of money on. I can back it down from 
70 pounds to 60 pounds shoot tournaments with, crank it back up. It's still long enough to be accurate, but it's short enough to put in a tree stand. And that's where the two bows were born at that point. I, I did build the, the cyborg, which was the 37 inch bow. I built it um, mainly for the guy that said, Hey, I don't hunt. I just want a tournament bow. I built that for him. The genetics, uh, in fact, the way it got its name is it all starts with good genetics. That was sort of my theory behind it. Um, that's how it got its name. And so what we did there, we sat around, or I sat around, and I, I bounced off friends, like I said, and we came up with a 7-inch brace height that was perfect and 33 inches, and it just grew from there. And that bow became uh, the first thing I got out of that bow. Everybody loved the grip. And uh, so from that point forward, it just grew, and sort of got a little bit of recognition out there and a couple of people won some stuff with it. And then obviously, you know how that works. People won't want if, you know, cause they think that's what made them win. Right. <laughs> so, you know, went from there. And uh, of course I'm always going to say, yeah, it was the boat. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so yeah. you've mentioned, you've mentioned the grip on more than one occasion so far today. What on the design of the grip, what are you thinking about, that I guess what makes first off what makes a good grip and how does that how can that affect uh, a good bow let's say like you could have a really good rest of the bow but if the if the grip is trash then it might affect it or or vice versa what's uh yep. what's your thought on that well you know my rundown on that is the grip needs to be wide enough that it fits in the meat of your hand pretty good but at the same time, it doesn't need to be so wide that it creates torque. Um, I've seen some grips that were a little too narrow. So they were torqueless. You know, the term torqueless is out there. and and But they were so narrow, they actually almost hurt. They pushed into your hand a little too much, and they would hurt you. So, yes, you could shoot the bow, but a couple hundred shots, it was uncomfortable. didn't feel good, uh, those kind of things. The the other thing that I've I've seen out there is that – the grips would force you into a certain style, either high wrist or low wrist, or make you put your hand in a certain way. And I'm going to say this, that is great. It forces you to do the same thing every time. But if you can't make that bow fit you a little bit, that's where it starts not doing so well. You know, you can shoot it for a while, but after a while, your your mind and body is going to take over and say, you know, this just is uncomfortable to me and I need to shoot it this way. And then if you can't shoot it that way, obviously that's not the bow for you anymore. So one of the things I wanted to make sure I did was the grip was torqueless, but wide enough it didn't hurt uh, on repetitive shots. And at the same time, it had sort of a neutral position to where if a guy shot a little bit of a high wrist, he could. If he shot a low wrist, he could. But if he shot what I would call a true archer's neutral position where it just sort of laid in the hand at full draw, it fit him perfect. And so uh, that's what I did. And and the first couple of prototypes, I'll have to admit, I made them for me. Um, and I realized that, yeah, it, it fit me good, but it may not fit everybody. So I started passing the bows around and getting feedback and those kind of things. And I, I think, again, that's a little bit what sets New Breed apart. Um is that we actually, you know, listen to our customer and we try to we try to give what the customer wants. I mean, you know, with with everything, uh, we try to make sure that that we we're doing our best. But you know what I mean. You, you can't please everybody, but we try to please the majority. How about that? Yeah, that makes good sense. Now, in regards to some of that feedback that you were getting, what you know, 
I do I do a bow review uh, podcast every once in a while, um, and uh, you know you you get the same the same kind of information from the you know a majority of the people, and that's what I I take it these bow manufacturers lean towards. Now every once in a while you get a handful of people that don't like a certain um, you know aspect of the way a bow shoots. Now what kind of feedback were you getting originally that helped you I guess come to the you know the 2.0 version of your bows uh well yeah pretty well the alpha stage was the first one i cut uh the beta stage was the one where i was sort of letting people use it you know if that makes sense yep and so uh and with that the kind of stuff i was i was looking for was did the bow tune good for them did it fit good uh after repetitive shots uh you know where where was their gripes you know did did they feel anything um at full draw, did it feel like it was pinching them somewhere? Did it feel like uh, they couldn't settle, their pin wouldn't sit, and those kind of things? I'll, I will admit this. Uh, the first, the alpha bow, I guess, pretty well was good. I mean, there, you know, I did hear a few little things, and I did I did round my grip a little more. I was a little too square to start with um, on the backside because me personally i like it to be real flat so when i put my hand against it it hits the same spot every time i was getting a little bit of hey i could feel that you know and so i said okay so i went in there and radius the grip a little bit um also the first bow was fully machined grip which our grip is still fully machined but it didn't have any uh inserts or anything soft to it uh it was just a flat metal for lack of a better word and so uh the first thing i heard was hey i don't have anything to touch or feel and so i did go back and put in some inserts and now we have uh the bojax insert that we put in there for a little bit of dampening too i i do include a little bit of feedback in my bow and there there's a there's a misconception out in the archery world a little bit there's a difference between hand shock and feedback hand shock is when the bow tries to get away from you you know it, it sort of wants to jump away from you and it it really feels like it's it's hammering on you like shocking you then there's vibration uh vibration is what i call feedback vibration is just the natural okay you just released a you know basically a big rubber band you know the energy's got to go somewhere right and we want most of it to go on the arrow that's how we're getting our speed and how we're getting our kinetic energy and those kind of things but some of it's going to have to be given away somewhere and so uh, I really like for the bow to absorb as much of that energy as possible, and I don't like the the user to have to absorb it. So I don't want it running down their arm and those kind of things. But you're going to get a little bit of feedback with my bow on purpose. The reason I leave just a little bit in there is to make sure I can I can tell, and I've had several coaches over the years and and different archery people that said, man, you know, I can just shoot a bow. And I can tell you from the, the instant I, I released that arrow, I can tell you if it was a good shot or not by the way it felt. And so what I noticed was right around in that time frame, there there was a lot of people that the, the new catchphrase was dead in the hand, dead in the hand, dead in the hand. And I totally agree with it. I got, I got a bow that's what I call dead in the hand. You know, it was great for hunters, but for the guy who really wanted to get into archery and really wanted to shoot some tournaments and really wanted to hunt as well and get more, he wanted to get past that 20 yard shot, you know, and he really wanted to learn the aspect of the bow. I felt like it needed to have a little bit of feedback to make sure 
that they they could tell every time when they released that bow it was a perfect shot or not you know and so that's what i leave just a hair and when i say a hair i mean most people call my bow's dead in the hand but i can feel it there's a little bit of uh feedback in there i i really don't like to use the term vibration because people freak out about that but you know it it is what it is it's it's just a little bit of you can feel it go through your hand a little bit and that's what you want now you don't want hand shock which is where it jumps out of your hand yeah. uh, or tries to go forward or it sort of jumps back and then comes back at you kind of thing you don't want those kind of things and so it definitely doesn't have that right so i talked um on another podcast we had another uh bow engineer on the show and he talked a little bit about the efficiency of a bow and you know the quieter the bow is would equal a better efficient shot um can what would you say in, in that regard that your bows are efficient i mean with a little bit of what you call feedback is does that mean that there's a little bit of noise with the bow as well or is it fairly quiet still no that's a great question the feedback is for feel, but the bow is as quiet as they come. Okay. In fact, one one thing that sets New Breed apart a little bit, and then I get a little bit of that wow factor when I take it somewhere and people look at it, the first reaction, the very first reaction I get from a guy who's really, you know, like into things and, and into the archery side of it, when he grabs my bow and the first thing he notices is the only dampeners on the bow or the, the grip part he always says the same thing. He's like, you don't put any dampers on your bow? And I'm like, no, it doesn't need it. He's like, well, it's going to be loud. And then after he shoots it, he's like, I don't know how you did it, man. <laughs> but he said, that is the quietest bow I've ever shot. And if you engineer the bow correctly and the other engineer you talk to, he, he's on that, that level. I don't, you know, but if you talk to him or talking to me, you know, that kind of thing, you can have that little bit of feedback, but you can have that bow quiet. And then he absolutely, the quieter the bow, the more efficient it's going to be because you're not losing any energy. You're pushing all that energy to where it's supposed to be instead of losing a little bit of energy. And that's where the noise comes from. So yes, on the efficiency, I totally agree with that. So our bow is actually one of the quietest bows out there. Most of the reviews that we send them out for, uh, it comes back on their decimal meters as always one of the quietest bows in their lineup. We may not have won quote unquote number one, you know, out of the 20 bow companies that they tested. We, I will admit, um, we stay in the top five pretty easy. Um, and we have hit number one a time or two and deer and deer hunting magazine last year, we were voted the number one whitetail bow of the year. I mean, you know, how, how can you not be happier with that since I live in whitetail country? <laughs> so, uh, but with that, you know, we always get the highest rating, one of the quietest bows, uh, true to its IBO number, and uh, felt great on the shot. We Actually, a lot of them right dead in the hand. So I'm probably giving away my little bit of feedback secret, and now people are going to be like, oh, I see what he's talking about what they never felt before. Right. You know? but, but I have to admit it, mention it, you know. So. so the next thing I want to talk about here is your bionics uh, cam system. And it, is, it says here on your website that it, it's patented. Uh, what is what is the Bionics modular cam system, and why why is why does it play an important role on that bow? Right, it it is. Um, we use the the two sixty nine patent is what it's called out there in the world. Um, the two fifty nine two sixty nine patent. Uh, 
but it's a we use it as a utility so we design i i design but we now as we've grown we i do have some other people involved but we design our own uh cam and so it is my cam design and it's a two-track cam to cam system so basically what it does is when you shoot the bow and the cables they they aren't working against each other they're working with each other so each cam actually knows what the other cam's doing so they're in sync if that makes sense uh, so it's a dual cam bow meaning that it has two cams it's not single there's not just one cam doing all the work both cams are doing the work but they're working like a single cam and and allowing them to work together instead of against each other uh so it allows you to not have to tune it or time it or those kind of things as much um that you would with either a true dual cam bow or a single cam bow, which you don't have to do some of the uh, worry about the timing as much, but at the same time, you do still have to keep it in tune. So this is sort of the best of both worlds. It allows the cams to work together in sync with each other so that they're working really well together. But at the same time, being the dual cam, it's giving you that little bit more speed that you don't get with like a one cam system. One cams are, are great for staying synchronized because there's only one cam to work with. But at the same time, you lose a little bit of efficiency. The dual cam is going to give you more speed and efficiency on the bow. So this is a dual cam system, but it actually um, links cam to cam. So it works like a one cam. The, the put it that way it's not a hybrid cam the hybrid cam systems that are out there you got one cam that works like a one cam and then you got another cam that's just giving you the energy but they they don't really sync together you usually have a yoke system or something like that we do not have a yoke system we don't need it uh with our system the other thing about being a two track the term two track is that there are some other systems out there that do this same syncing together um in in the world of archery, they're called the binary system, okay? Uh, but they have three tracks. So what typically happens on that is usually have it pulling a little too much on one side because it's it's got too many cables going on, you know, and so it's it's pulling a little on one side and it's causing a little bit of torque on the bow. With the two track, it allows the cams to stay in line, so you you virtually have no cam lean uh, at full draw or at rest, which is you know, what everybody's out to do. You don't want to have that cam link because the cam link can create a whip on the arrow and, and those kind of things. What makes our cam unique? Are there other two-track cams out there? Yes, they are. That patent is available to a couple of other companies. What makes our cam unique is that our module system is a piece mod system, but you don't have to remove your cables um, to change your draw length. A lot of are in fact all the two tracks that I know of right now that are out on the market, you have to physically take off your cables um, to change your draw length. With ours, you don't. And so what makes that unique is, let's say that you're both shooting good and you are a tournament shooter and you like to shoot 28 and a half inches for tournaments, but you like to hunt with 28 because of bulky clothing and cold weather and all those kind of things, you can run into your local pro shop, change the module out, and you didn't have to spend 40 minutes re timing your cables and getting it all perfectly synced again and those kind of things it just stays synced on the cam and you just change out the little piece and go about your way and all you have to worry about then is adjusting for the draw link change you made so it's pretty pretty unique um and i, I we i've been working on that cam um the 2.5 version 
obviously there was a bionics cam, then there was a bionics one, and then I believe I went to the two, and then from the two I went to the two point five. The two point five this year, uh, all I did was make a few little changes that I listened to the customer on. I used to have a a peg that the string hooked on, and it was a hook style and. A lot of the customers or dealers would complain about it because they said, man, if I want to get just that, you know, quarter turn or half turn out of the string for a peep sight rotation, I can't do it with that hook. But if you'd put me a peg on there, I would. So I went with the peg system this year. And with that, I made a couple other little changes and uh, allowed a uh, cable stop to be put on there. So we use a limb stop, which gives you a solid back wall. At full draw, I, I truly believe in the limb stop. It, you know, it doesn't allow you to overdraw your bow, and technically you can't underdraw it because you can sort of feel those limb stops touch the limb. But we did put the cable stops on there as a, a secondary stop, so that guy that wants that little bit of sponginess um, on the back wall, if he's shooting a hinge release or what they call a back tension, um, if he's doing that and he wants to adjust his, he doesn't want it to hit so hard that it goes off every time when he comes into full draw that he can put a little bit of sponge in there. So it's it's pretty a pretty neat system. It it's very user friendly. Uh I will say this, it, it has the tinkerer in mind a little bit. Um so we have to be very cautious because we are selling it to the public and get somebody that can over tinker it. But uh we tried to build in all the safety factors to keep that from happening if that makes sense. But we allow you to that's the one thing again I will throw out there about new breed and that archers building bows for archers mindset that we have is that we understand you got to make some adjustments for you. If you, if you don't, if you just, you know, if it's, you know, new breeds way or no way, yeah, you're going to shoot the bow, but you may not enjoy it. But if you can go in there and make it custom fit you just a little bit more, then it's going to be that bow that you're going to want to go to. And uh, I'll say this, one of the nicest compliments are the compliment that, probably makes me smile the biggest about our company is it's not hey man that's the quietest bow hey man that's the fastest bow hey man that's the best shooting bow don't get me wrong i like hearing those things but the number one compliment that i hear is when a guy says you know i got a couple of different bows i own different bow companies and and those kind of things but the one thing that i i have to admit about the new breed when i got something serious i want to do either it's a big tournament are uh, um, going out west on an elk hunt if they're over here in the east coast or if they're from the west coast and they're coming over here for a whitetail hunt and they're doing some traveling when they say your bow's the bow i'm going to take with me because i believe in it that just that's the number one i you know sort of high five myself a little bit on that one because that's what i want it to be at the end of the day your bow should be a tool but it should be the tool you want and not the tool you have to work on all the time right that makes a lot of sense and and to expand that a little bit, I want to ask you this question. You know, every everybody is talks about, I guess, the the parts of what make up a bow. Like, and when I say parts, I mean the draw, um, the speed, uh, the let off. Uh, you know, th- those kind of things. And everybody wants a bow that shoots 700 miles an hour, and yeah. they they want they want to be able to pull, you know, they want to be able to make a bow that is a hundred pounds, the draw weight's a hundred pounds, but it pulls back like it's four pounds and they want the let off to be 100%, you know, the quote unquote perfect bow. Do you think that there is such thing as a perfect 
and and I want to talk specifically about hunting. Do you think there is such thing as a perfect hunting bow? And then to add on to that, how how close do you think your bows are to meeting that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. As far as a hunting bow, because I'm a hunter, um, and I mentioned earlier, I grew up on a farm, so very fortunate at a young age. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you a little quick story before we lean into this, but this is just real quick. At, uh, it's it's almost funny because I like to tell the story now, but when I was about six years old, my dad, for my birthday, gave me a twenty two rifle. And I have to admit, I sort of broke down and probably pulled the typical kid thing and, you know, was a little upset because all my friends had gotten BB guns and I got a twenty two. I had no clue at six years old that I was getting the better item. You know what I mean? It's just all my friends were getting BB guns and I got a twenty two. What's that all about? You know, and nowadays, you know, now looking back, because I have a young son at home now looking back, I'm like, man, if I'd only known how how well my dad did. But so what I was getting at at a young age, I was fortunate to be able to get out in the woods very early and uh, I was able to harvest a deer. Uh, my dad was a little picky. He didn't let me really start hunting, hunting till I was around, uh, 11, somewhere in there. I mean, but at that point, that style of hunting, he was just letting me go on my own. So it wasn't like I was 11 and he was still taking me. I mean, he had, he had taken me my entire years up until that point, but you know, at 11, he sort of turned me loose kind of thing. Like, yep, you're, you're a man, you can do this. And so, uh, anyway, to get, to catch you up, I, I feel like I've always hunted. And then I got into bow hunting at, uh, around 13 or 14, my teenage years. And my dad was pretty smart too. It, I think he really saw that I had interest in it. And, uh, he jumped on that and started taking me to archery tournaments because he viewed it as a way probably for us to continue to spend some time together as I was becoming a teenager and those kind of things. And then secondly, probably keep me out of trouble. So, uh, anyway, it, it worked out pretty good. So, the the idea leading into what you were talking about, um, the, the perfect hunting bow, I think a bow should be one of those that when you start at full draw, because I've been in that tree stand and been in the situation to where, okay, uh, a deer walks in and we all like to say, you know, that big 150-inch whitetail, but let's just be honest, here in Alabama, that doe walks in and you want to get a shot at her, <laughs> you know, and so... Uh, you, she comes in and, and she's a little weary and you know she is, but you, you've got your bow in your hand and you're ready to come to full draw. And just about the time you're about uh, halfway to three quarters of that draw, she does that famous doe look. She turns right up and looks right up in the tree stand at you. And, uh, you know, I always make the joke that here in Alabama, they're born looking up, the deer are. So, uh, you know, they turn and look. I think the bow should be able to be stopped during that draw cycle. Now, not for a long period of time. I mean, you're not going to be able to hold it, you know, 10 minutes or anything, but if you can hold it 30 seconds, enough for her to drop her head, turn the other way, do something, I think that bow should. There are bows out there that once you start the draw cycle, you got to finish the draw cycle. Right. Um, you know, new breed, if you start the draw cycle, it's smooth enough, you can stop that draw cycle. Now, I mean, you got to remember you're holding, you know, anywhere between 60, 70, however many pounds you want to shoot. But uh, those kind of things. But you can definitely stop that draw cycle and continue on. Vice versa, letting down, doing the same thing. Let's say you come to full draw and the animal turns the other direction and, and doesn't allow you to have a shot. You want to be able to let that bow down without it looking like, you know, you just came apart in the tree stand. And or, or in the ground blind or wherever you are at this point. But I'm using my, myself, so I'm going to say tree stand. That's what I hunt out of the most. 
I want to be able to let that bow down very easily without making a lot of noise or looking like, you know, a lot of movement to get it done. I think that is a key factor to a hunting bow, to be able to draw that bow very smoothly. And secondly, if you have to, to let that bow down very smoothly without it feeling like it just ripped your arm off or secondly, you've made so much noise or, or commotion that you ran the animal off. And so, uh, those are the two main items I like. Let off, I think you need to have uh, some. I, I think 80% is good. Um, uh, Pope and Young says uh, up to 85% is it. That's all they allow, and I think they're they're pretty dead on the money. You get above 85% or, or more, really, you got too much let off, if that makes sense. I, I think somewhere in that 80% range is great. Uh, a little less than 80, some people will argue with you and say you shoot it better. Probably shooting wise, yes, but hunting wise, you got how many times you draw on a bow back if you're a hunter, come back to full draw, and that animal does take a step forward or does something a little different, and so now you don't have that shot that you thought you had instead of having to let it down to hurry because you can't hold as much weight, you need to be able to just sort of lock in and hold it for a minute or two if you can and and I think that's where that eighty percent plays a, a big portion of that um I don't like that what I call a dump feel you know like when right. you come into the valley it sort of pops over into it so it's very important that it's very smooth going into the valley so that it's a very natural flow because as a hunter i want to be focused on what the animal's doing and not what i'm doing at this point i want it to be my body and mind has taken over because i've practiced and so uh you know i want that bow to just feel like an extension of you not you know something you got to work at to make it happen if that makes sense yeah that makes perfect okay. sense. And to, to answer your question, um, I'm probably a very modest and, and humble guy. Um, I'm not going to say, yeah, man, New Breed's the most perfect bow ever, and everybody needs one. I, yes, there's a part of me that says that's what I want to say, you know, <laughs> because. Yeah. But I really did work really hard, and in, in, in that conversation that we just mentioned there, you can tell I'm a hunter. I'm not just some guy that sits behind the computer that draws up things and says well it looks cool and it it feels all right over here on according to this um robot that i built that says the draw force curve is good i actually use the equipment too and um so in all honesty i i think we're pretty doggone close is there room for improvement i'm never going to say we've made the perfect anything i'm always going to say there's room for something but man if i had to start if, if somebody said this is your last bow design um you know we're not going to allow any more bow designs in the world, then would I totally be satisfied the rest of my life with this one? Absolutely. At this current time, yes. And gotcha. so I think it fits. Perfect. Well, that's a good answer. All right. So I got a guy. His name is Walter Lee. He's a follower of my blog and, and podcast. And Walter, I think he's from Florida, and he has a question. And his okay. question is, what do they offer – that should convince me to switch brands. So basically, you know, and that doesn't have to necessarily be about your guys's bows in, in general, but about your company as a whole. Yep. Well, one, th it's very good. I get this question probably more than, uh, than most because I am sort of the new kid on the block. I mean, you know, 2009 sounds like a long way from 2016, but really, in the big scheme of things, if you look at the large companies, they're all 
20, 30, 40 plus year companies, you know? And so, uh, I'm, I'm still in my baby steps and, yeah. and I know that, uh, but what makes us different, you probably do get, uh, a little bit more customer service with us. If you dial up new breed archery's phone number now, Will we answer every five minutes? Probably not, because in in all honesty, if it's during our work hours, yes, we're on top of that phone. That's number one thing is customer service. Uh, we answer emails. I, I even get some stuff social media-wise that I answer, uh, those kind of things. Customer service is definitely there. What I mean, do we not answer the phone? I'm, I don't have a 24-hour answering service. I I think you're not going to get what you need out of an answering service anyway. So we basically say call us back during our business hours, you know, if it's after business hours and, uh, and we'll be glad to help you or reach us by email. I, I'm a little guilty and I know uh, a couple of the folks out here that do service work for me. We're a little guilty of answering emails at nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night. Um, in fact, my wife's probably told me a couple of times, are you, are you working? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I am. So I would say that's what you get. Customer service uh, is job one for us. Secondly, you are going to get that little bit more personal connection. Uh, if the phone rings, you're either going to get a, you're going to get a live person. You're not going to have to press nine and you're not going to get somebody that, you know, they got a manual that I wrote that I said, okay, if, if they ask how to tune their rest, read this. You're actually going to get somebody who shoots and uses our product every single day and probably before they started working for me was into archery already, and that's why I hired them. Um, so you're going to get somebody who actually knows. it. It's so funny, and I have to I have to tell this. So Renee Hornbuckle, is, she's pretty well our uh, customer service, but she's also a pro shooter for Newbury, but she does our customer service a good bit, along with several other things. We all wear many hats around here. But it's so funny, the guys that will call up and they'll be like, hey, I have a technical question. Can you put somebody on the phone? And she's like, well, what is it? Maybe I can help you. And it, it's sort of funny because I've heard of, I've heard those conversations before. I walked by our office and it's been on speakerphone and I've heard, well, no, 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 I probably need a guy for this. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I always sort of laugh because I'm pro I probably was one of those guys at one time in my life. But uh, I always sort of laugh because if they knew, they're talking to a pro archer. And there's probably not much she hadn't done with a bow. Now, was it at 70 pounds? Probably not. You know, she's a 50-pound shooter. But she can do anything. She can tune a bow as good as any bow tuner I've seen. And then uh, her husband is one of the top bow tuners in Alabama, you know, and he's known for that. People drive a couple hundred miles just to come to a shop for that. So it's pretty interesting to see that happen. So uh, so anyway, that that's one of those things that you definitely get. The other thing, so what else do you get besides that with our company? Um, you do get – we actually take the product, and one thing that I, I tell everybody in the shop, when we build – bows for people we're not just building a product and sticking it in a box and shipping it off everybody builds that bow like they are building it for themselves so we put that much effort and thought into that bow that we make sure everything's right before it leaves here so that when you get it you can feel confident that it was just like you put it together yourself if that's what you were into um i don't think you get that with some of the larger companies and i I, I, the only reason I, I want to say think there is because I don't know the ins and outs of every company, but it, I do know what I've seen, and I know that dealers have to spend a little bit of time from other companies of 
having to sort of get the bow ready for the customer where our bow is pretty much so you pull it out of a box, put a rest on it, put a D loop on it and go shoot it. Um, and that's, that's one thing that our dealers love about us. They, they said, man, you're a, you're a five minute out of the box. Let's start working on the bow instead of a 30 minute, you know, kind of thing. Right. So, um, other things that you get, we go the little bit extra mile. I want to give you this. We go the extra mile. We put, uh, stainless steel and titanium hardware on every one of our bows as a standard. It's not an upgraded feature. Uh, most companies charge $150 or more for it. And one company that puts it as a standard feature, it's over a $2,000 bow. Our bow, you're getting a $2,000 product for a reasonable, you know, price. We're, we're not selling it for $2,000. We, we're selling it for anywhere between uh, $8.99 to $9.99, but it's as high quality as any $2,000 bow out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So with all that said, I want to talk just real quick about where is new breed bows made? Are they made in the U.S. or do you have parts come over from overseas and then they're assembled here? What's the What's the story with that? Nope, we're made right here in the United States. In fact, most most of our parts are made right here in Alabama. And here's what's exciting. Over the years, um, if you remember when we first started this conversation, I said I talked to a buddy of mine that had a machine shop and those kind of things into making some parts for me. Well, over the years, we have gone from being, quote-unquote, just an archery company to an archery manufacturing company. We actually do most of our machining in-house. There's a few little parts that I still get machined because it's just not cost-effective for me, but I still get them machined in the U.S., uh, right here in Alabama, actually. But I just allow that to be subbed out a little bit. Uh, but we machine the majority of our parts right here in oh. in Alabama, right here in Birmingham. And then uh, we actually get – we now make our – our own hydro dipping or graphics, you know, I say we make it, but we actually put that on our bows. So instead of shipping it off, having somebody else paint it, ship it back to us, and then us assemble it, we actually do all our own hydrographics, and which is the camouflage or either the black paint, those kind of things. We make our own strings in-house, so we don't order strings from other companies. I was very particular that we needed to have the perfect string. If you got the perfect bow, you got to have the perfect string, so why not make your own? And, uh, and so we make all our own strings and uh, I always like to make the term that, you know, we're about 95% in-house. The other 5% that I'm telling you about uh, more or less is uh, little odds and end parts that we're not going to make our own screws. You know, we're going to have to yeah. order those and, and right. those kind of things, but uh, we make pretty much so everything right here. And, and that's, that's been a really neat transition for me to watch the company go from, okay, well, let me get some parts from this guy and let me send it over here and get it painted. Let me bring it back in here. We've always done our assembly 100%, but to physically start making our own parts and then assembling our own parts is just an awesome, awesome thing. And to tie into something that uh, the, the follower had asked, this is something that Newbreed does that's pretty unique in the industry right now. Once a technician starts that bow, meaning once he gets all the parts together and he's ready to put the bow together during assembly, he is he or she is the only one 
that assembles that boat. So it's not, okay, one guy's doing limbs, one guy's putting cams on the limbs, the other guy's putting the limbs to the riser, the other guy's stringing it, the other guy's testing it. What happens is once that boat gets started by that technician, he finishes that boat. Now, we do go through a little bit of a quality check at the end that basically we just want a second set of eyes to make sure we didn't miss a nick or a scrape or something right. like that, you know. But that's the cool part about us. Once that boat was started with our technician, it's finished with our same technician. And, you know, I, you just don't get that anywhere in manufacturing. So it's know. not like an assembly line process, right? No, no, yeah. it's not. Now, you know, mind you, when we machine risers, obviously we're doing several hundred of those at a time. Right, and right. And those kind of things. But once it makes it to our assembly side of the world, it it is not an, it's not like okay well let's just do risers today let's do limbs tomorrow or let's pat, like the operations i've seen in the past uh someone would be prepping the riser the next guy would be putting the limbs on the risers they just prep the next guy would put the cams on the next guy would string it and the next guy would shoot it and you know here's my theory behind that if you know how to build that bow from start to finish and you know what that bow is supposed to feel like from start to finish you're going to tell really quickly if something is not right with that bow, where if the guy's shooting on the other end, he may not realize that that limb didn't fit just right in the pocket, but the guy let it go anyway. You know what I mean? Yep. So that's what we're trying to do. And I have to admit, um, I, I mentioned I'm a bow hunter, but I pay attention to all kind of stuff and, uh, Barrett rifles, they treat their, their high end rifles the same way. And, uh, you know, these are the guys that are supplying the military with, you know, high-end, got to make the perfect shot rifle. So if they do it that way, why can't we make a bow that way? And that's what I told myself. And that's what we're doing today. Right. All right. So this, what was it, 2016, did you guys release, how many new bows did you release in 2016? Yeah, 16 was a banner year for us. Um, in 2000, I'm going to back up just a little bit, if that's fine. Yep. And in 2009, I mentioned we had the genetics on the cyborg. I carried those two bows all the way up to 2015. Now, when I say I carried, obviously I made some modifications and things, and we don't have to get into total detail with that. But, you know, I was always doing a little bit of improving uh, over those. But I carried those two bows, plus I added a couple of bows throughout the line. But in 2016, it was time for a change. Um, people that had the genetics were happy with it. They said, hey, you... I don't think you can do anything else to this bow and make it any better than what it is. Same thing about cyborg and uh, the clips and, and those kind of things. So I knew I'd been working on some designs. Obviously you don't like, this is 2016. My 2017 products probably been done for two years. Um, I just, you know, you, you're testing it the entire time. So, uh, the, you know, the myth that, oh, they just spit these things out. No, we, we spend a lot of time. We're always a couple of years ahead, if that makes sense. Um, but so our 2016 bow, when when we decided to do that, we came out with the GX2. So there was a brand new bow. We dropped the genetics out of the line, came out with the GX2. We had the blade in 2015, but this year we introduced two versions of the blade. Uh, we our blade regular, which is a seven inch brace height bow. And then we introduced the SS, which is it's built off the blade riser, but different limbs and cam configurations and those kind of things to get us a faster bow. So we introduced our first speed bow technically this year, and that was the blade SS. 
And then we uh, took the cyborg out of the lineup and the clips out of the lineup, and we put the elevation in, which in all honesty, for the guys out there that follow archery a little bit, as far as tournament shooting, we sat down with uh, Alan Connor, which is, I think he holds 30-something national titles. And I, I, his resume so long, I'd have to get it out to read it to you. But let me just put it this way. He knows what he's doing in life, and he shoots for us, and uh, he wins. And so I sat down and I asked him and several other shooters, you know, what do you want out of a tournament bow? And anyway, the elevation was born from there, and I gave them everything they asked for, and then they, they – are all claiming I gave them a little more than what I than what they asked for because they said they can't find anything wrong with it right now. So that's awesome, you know, to to hear those kind of things. Um, so you know, now you're looking at we've basically got um, was that four bows right there that we introduced this year. So it was a big year for us. And then our fifth bow, we brought back the Nemesis, and I say brought back. The only thing we brought back was the name. But what we did is I took some of those features from the genetics that I love so much, and I took some of the features from a, another bow I had introduced a couple of years back called the Seduction uh, that was strictly made for ladies, and I married the genetics and the Seduction together and brought back the 2016 Nemesis, um, obviously with a little extra engineering there. But what it's designed for, the Nemesis is designed for the lady archer, the serious lady archer or either the serious youth shooter. Can a guy shoot it? Certainly. It, we make it out to 29 inches. I, I pretty well stop it at 29 inches because it's a 30-inch axle-to-axle bow, and it would go totally against my grain to tell you, hey, yeah, we make a 30-inch draw length and a 30-inch axle-to-axle bow when I just told you less than an hour ago. That was one of the things I didn't like about the industry back when I started my company. So right. I, if you're a shorter draw person, this bow is for you. Um, if you're a long, longer draw guy, get you a longer axle to axle. Get you a 33, a 34, a 36, you know, somewhere in there. A 32, I think the GX2 is a perfect hunting bow. It's 32-inch axle to axle, so it's just short enough to move around in the tree stand with, but it's still long enough it's very accurate. The blade um, is 34-inch axle to axle, and in, in all honesty, it it's just the perfect bow at, at a seven inch brace height. But if you want that little more speed, if you got to see those numbers, or maybe you need that little bit more kinetic energy and, and those kind of things, it's still 34 inches. Axle axle is a six inch brace height. So for that out West Western hunter that needs to make that 60 yard shot on an elk, uh, he's got the speed to get him out there, but at the same time, he's still got the length to give him the forgiveness that we talked about in the beginning of this, that, he can definitely make the shot. And that, that was the sense. Blade SS, she said? Yes, the Blade yeah. SS. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Well, and that kind of uh, transition us transitions us into um, the bows and maybe what kind of bow is, you know, good for a specific type of hunter. Let's say, uh, you know, you already mentioned that the Blade SS might be uh, a good for a Western hunter, you know, someplace where you're shooting maybe a little bit longer distances. But now let's talk about the the tree stand hunter, the Midwest, the Eastern hunter who's sitting in a tree stand um, and their shot maybe goes out to 40 yards. Yep, definitely. Um, the GX2, as far as I'm concerned, you can use that bow. You can carry it anywhere on this continent. And uh, 
and do anything with it. It's a 32-inch axle axle. It shoots good out west. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I just mentioned the Blade SS that way. But yep. um, the GX2 is 32-inch axle axle. So it's, once again, I go back to me being a whitetail hunter. Do I sit in a deer blind? Absolutely. Do I get in a tree stand? Almost 90% of the time, I'm a tree stand hunter. Uh, so I needed something compact to be able to move around, maybe throw on my backpack or or put on the side of my tree stand carrying it in or either carry it in my hand and not be so clumsy that I'm knocking things around. Because if you've ever hunted here in Alabama, which I think you mentioned you've been down here before, you know, we, we basically crawl through thickets compared to you guys. Um, y'all get a little bit more open woods up there some days, you know. So uh, anyway, I think the 32-inch axle axle is perfect. I still think you need the 7-inch brace height to give you a little bit of accuracy. So that's where the GX2 comes into play. Um, it's got a 7-inch brace height. But here's the cool thing. This bow will shoot up to 340 feet a second. So it's just slightly under uh in speed compared to the ss but you're getting a little bit more forgiveness so you can still get that good going back to what you mentioned i like a little bit heavier air when i'm tree stand hunting um more or less i just like the kinetic energy i like you know quote unquote the knockdown power is what i've heard it called but you know in the industry it's called kinetic energy and i like setting my arrows up to where i'm not really concerned about the speed because i am only shooting out to 30 40 yards tops I'm more concerned about the accuracy and I'm more concerned about how much, you know, thrust I'm going to get once I hit that animal, am I going to get a pass through? It, especially for tree stand hunting, I go back to why I like the heavy air. I want to get that pass through because I want to make sure that when the arrow goes in, obviously it's going in at an angle. So I want that arrow to come out the bottom side to be able to make the blood come out so I can trail them. Uh, you know, and, and that may sound a little gruesome, but that's just the way it is. I mean, if you make a, a high shot at a steep angle it's a little harder to find them because the blood's got to pump back out instead of go down right, right. so gravity's fighting against you there so i love getting that pass through and um i think that's what you have to have in in a tree stand hunting bow so you got to have a little bit of speed there to get that and uh i shoot going back to what the perfect bow is uh years ago i was a 70 80 pound kind of guy you know you couldn't have talked me out of it and then Obviously, I've gotten older, so 80 pounds is gone. I don't even think about 80 pounds anymore. Uh, then I was a 70-pound guy. I was like, man, you know, it's just not enjoyable to shoot anymore. I shoot 62 pounds now. Um, I shoot a 428-grain arrow. And, you know, knock on wood, honestly, I've blown through everything that I've shot, zero to 40 yards, uh, even some big game. I, I killed an elk at uh, 60 yards and was 62 pounds went and slapped through him and had to go retrieve my arrow on the other side of him so you know to be able to do those kind of things uh, I think 60 pounds is plenty nowadays but you know every once in a while a guy wants a little bit more weight sure 70 pounds we make them in that in fact um, one unique thing that we do here is we make a 65 pound max weight bow a lot of companies make 60-pound max weight, 70-pound max weight, 80-pound max weight, or 50-pound max weight kind of bows. We make a 50, a 60, a 65, and a 70. The reason we make the 65 is I truly believe that that is the the perfect number if you wanted to buy one bow and you want to go out west with it or if you want to stay here but you don't want to have to pull the high poundage anymore. 65 pounds will do anything you ever want it to do. Um, very fortunate, again, back in uh, 
2014, I got to go to Africa and I killed every animal over there that, uh, on that trip, I killed seven animals on that trip, every one of them with a 62 pound bow. And every one of them, the guide said, we're going to probably have to track this one a long way. Every one of them we watched drop. So, uh, that that makes you feel good when you know you got a bow that can produce that kind of kinetic energy. So going back, getting off the Africa thing, going back to the tree stand, I think that's what makes the GX2 the best bow. It's short, lightweight, but still produces the energy you need to get the shot done. Got you. Well, I tell you what, a lot of uh, a lot of cool information today, and I I, I appreciate it. But the last the last question I want to ask you before I let you go today is. What is what what does the future hold for new breed? Yeah, that's that's a good one. I get that a lot. Uh obviously I mentioned in the beginning of this, you know, we're not trying to be anybody. We're trying to be ourselves. Uh you know, if if it was all about numbers and all about what the accountants say and all about what sales say, you know, we would be pushing right now to try to just sell, 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 sell. And don't get me wrong, sales are needed. Obviously, we got to sell to stay in business. And we wouldn't be here if we didn't sell. Um, but you don't want to sell yourself into such a corner that you sort of forget where you came from, if that makes sense. And so I think for new breed in the future, as long as we keep our steady growth that we've got right now, uh, I want to be one of those companies that, you know, I pass this on to, yeah, I have two business partners. I'm going to definitely mention that. Uh, if I don't, I'd, I'd be doing an injustice. I do have two business partners now. And in 2012, they really saw the need. They they saw they had a great product. They saw that where I was going with this, but they saw the need to be able to market it and to get the sales out there and those kind of things. And so they came to me and we talked. And at the end of the day, it was like, hey, this is a, you know, they're going to let me do the engineering and they're going to let me sort of keep things going with the company but what they're going to do is sort of help me with the things i'm not good at and i think that's the number one thing is surround yourself with people that are good at the things you're not good at and uh so they have really started helping me market the bow they've really got me in the magazines they've got me on the reviews they've got me on the tv shows they've really done everything they helped they saw that we needed to control our own destiny and so they're the ones that sort of said hey you need to start making your own product here instead of you know, ordering it from this company and shipping it to this company and this company. So I think that's where the future of new breed is right now is that we've assembled all the right key components and now we're just ready to to roll with it and explode if if that makes sense. If if we did increase our growth, um, which we, we do so much each year, which is great, but if we doubled our growth tomorrow, would it be a little bit of a stress? Absolutely. That would be with any company, I think. But we're now at the point that we can handle it, where back before 2012, if I'd have doubled my business in six months, I'd have probably been out of business, if that makes sense. And uh, it, it would have put us out, I mean, because I wouldn't have been prepared. But now we're prepared. Now it would just be a matter of, of getting uh, some more, maybe a little more equipment and a couple more employees and those kind of things. But I think we have all the right components in place. So the future for new breed really is limitless. Um, we're not trying to to make a company and turn around and sell it tomorrow. I, I've seen a lot of that happen. And, uh, and as an engineer, that some engineer, product designers, and those kind of things, that's all they want to do. They want to make a product. 
find somebody to buy it, sell it, and do another one. Not where I want to be. What I want to see happen with New Breed is we continue to grow our company, and I stay a part of it as long as I want to. And then technically, I never want to retire, if that makes sense. Um, but when it comes time, I want to be able to pass it down to my business partners, children, and my children, if that makes sense. Yep. Perfect sense. So, so that's what we're looking for. Um, you know, I, I get that a lot. And, you know, would you would you do this? Would you do that? You know, I, there's always scenarios to everything. But right now, we just want to be our own people and do right. our own thing. And we have no interest to just give it to a big company and walk away from it. Now, from a from a strictly product standpoint, what's uh, like? I don't know if you can how much information you can give us, but you know what's new coming within the next you know 2017. You got some new bows that you're already working on. Okay, well that's a good one. I I get this a lot. Um, it's always a very hairy question to answer um, because we have to be a little cautious of what we say and do. Uh, two reasons that I'm very cautious. The first reason is if I tell you, hey man, we got this, 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 and this, and then I only get one of those done. Well, there's going to be some guy that's going to say, man, there was this podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, they, they I mean, promised. seriously. They promised yep. me. Yeah. Yep. And so I have to be a little cautious of that. That's probably why I'm more cautious than anything, honestly. Um, the other side is, you know, we don't want everybody to know. And plus, the product that we have now, the one thing that I want to tell everybody, and I'll tell you, is, man, just because – this industry has changed so much. I mean, it used to be they come out with a bow model, and it'd last 10 years practically, in all honesty. And then, you know, we saw the five-year, and then we saw the one-year. And now we're at that – we're almost at a nine-month period now. And really and truly, I mean, what are we getting in that nine months when the new and improved version 2 comes out, and really it's version 1 with a new name? You're not really getting anything except a marketing scheme. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for New Breed, when I made the change in 2016, this year, we plan on keeping the bows that we've got. Now, yeah, there there may be a couple little changes here or there. We may hear something from the customer that, you know, that we're like, yeah, that's a cool idea. Let's incorporate that, <laughs> you know, or something like that. But I wouldn't say expect a huge change. That We're not going to do another six bu- or five bows. You know what I mean? Yeah. You might see – a bow get added, but you might see like the horizon. I, I just have to admit the horizon has been with me a little while. It's my 38 inch field archery bow. It's probably time for an update. And that's just where, where I'm going to leave it today. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you may see a fresh new color out there. We, we've worked with some new patterns, um, paint scheme wise that, man, we think we've nailed one. That's going to just be, this is going to be the color. Now, obviously mossy oak, we're always going to do that. We're here in the South and, we partnered with those guys for their pattern, and so it's it's a staple. Um, but you'll see those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I, we there's a future, and there's some stuff out there. There there might even be a new version of the cam system, but it's not going to take away from the one we got. I, that's the one thing I, I can't stand as a consumer, but also just in general, there's nothing worse. And I, I make this joke all the time, but there, there was a commercial a couple of years back, and I remember uh, this. There was a commercial on TV, and I laughed at it because I thought, "Yep, that's me." It shows a guy; and he's in a convertible. And he's sort of he's patting his new laptop. It's his new 
Dell 3000. Let's just call it that because I can't remember. But he's patting his new Dell 3000 laptop, and then he looks up at it. He's at a stoplight, and he looks up, and they're redoing the billboard, you know, rolling the the paint back over, and it says the new and improved Dell 4000 is out. <laughs> and, Amen. And man, nothing can make you feel worse than here's your brand new 3000 one in the box. And now they just released the 4,000 one after you just spent your hard-earned money on that one. You know what I mean? And so, and really and truly, the 4,000 and 3,000, they're not that much difference anyway. So, uh, you know, we at New Breed, I try not to do that. If I release something, we have done something totally different. Um, we, we've actually made an improvement or a change or – I don't like to use the word improvement, but maybe we just want a different direction because really and truly, I, I think when we release these products to the customers, they really are the best they can be at, at where we are with technology at the time. Um, is technology growing? Obviously, uh, you mentioned something earlier. And I, I have to I have to key in on it, but you said something about yeah, all the guys want you know a bow that pulls like four pounds but shoots like a hundred pounds, but you know this and that, you know the magic holy grail that's out there right now is the four hundred foot a second bow. Uh, as an engineer, maybe the other engineer you talk to, you know, there's a lot of chatter about who's going to be the first bow company to reach the four hundred foot a second bow, but in reality. It can it can happen today, there, but is it user friendly? Absolutely not. Right. Is it uh, is it something that you would be proud to release? Probably not. Is it something that's going to be back in the shop every other day? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so I think as long as we're sticking to where we are right now in that three fifty ish range, I think we're pretty good. And so, uh, pretty exciting stuff is all I can say about that. And we, one other thing, I, I looked over. I'm in my office. I looked over and. I almost gave up on, I didn't even think about this, but we are releasing a new arrow line uh, from New Breed that Black Eagle is co-branding with us. And uh, I will tell you this, I have a recurve in the works as well with another company. I'm not going to mention their name yet, but uh, we're look, I'm doing the riser design and they're doing the limb design. And that possibly could happen for 17. If it doesn't happen for, for 17, it's 18 for sure. So uh, that's pretty exciting. I, I got my I cut my I cut my teeth shooting recurves. So that's nice. pretty exciting. Yeah. Definitely with uh, cross promoting with two different companies, that's definitely exciting times for you guys. Yes, yes. We and that that arrow that we're releasing, it's it's going to be a hunting arrow. We're not trying to get the target market with it, but uh, the shank is the name of it. And uh, thanks thanks to Andy Morgan for that one. But uh, that's what he always says is, hey, I just shanked one when he shoots one on TV but uh, <laughs> with our new breed. But So the arrow, uh, the shank is coming out, and we're pretty excited about that because it's just another accessory to sort of get some more brand-loyal people out there. Well, I tell you what, uh, I really appreciate your time, Kyle, for coming on the show and talking about the product. If uh, someone wants to find more uh, about your guys' bows – or uh, you know, find out if if we didn't cover it here today. Find out more about New Breed. Where can we send them? Absolutely. The first place I'd send them to is our uh, website, which is www.newbreedarchery.com. Ton of information on there. Our phone numbers are on there. Um, dealer locators, all those kind of fun things. There's even some technical videos. Uh, so 
there's tune charts, anything you can think about that you would possibly want to know about our bow, it's on there. I, I always tell everybody, if you're going to research my product, the first place I go is over to that customer service tab and take a look at some of our technical videos. Are they uh, Hollywood production? Absolutely not. But they're myself or a couple of others in the shop showing you how to do the bow the way we do them. And uh, maybe that'll tell you a little bit about how much time and effort we take into a bow when you look at those videos. So, you know, did we spend a lot of money to make it look like I was a million dollar guy? No, but we put <laughs> the right amount of time in there. You know what I mean? It has all the right information. Yep, that's right. Well, I tell you what, I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh, spreading the info. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that brings us to an end of our Friday podcast. I just want to thank Kyle for coming on the show and talking about New Breed. I want to thank all of you guys, whether you're listening the day this is released or you know, a month or two down the road. Thank you guys for tuning in and uh, listening to this uh, show, this podcast. And uh, hopefully you guys are getting good information out of it. Be sure to check me out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Make sure you guys are uh, subscribing to the iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to this podcast, or maybe you're just listening it, listening to it on the uh, NineFingerChronicles.com backslash podcast webpage. Other than that, you know, quick shout out to Exodus Trail Camera. Um, make sure you guys are entering the code Nine Fingers, the number nine, then the word fingers, no spaces. Uh, when you check out and you can get $20 off your purchase. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Enjoy this nice weather. It's supposed to be nice anyway if you're in the uh, little in the Iowa area, maybe the Midwest. Other than that, have a great, great rest of your weekend. Enjoy time with your family. And remember to wear your damn safety harness.